Hey everybody, this is Joshua Heston. And I'm Lisa Martin. And this is the Dark Ozarks on the Branson Podcast Network. And we're live. Good evening and welcome to the Dark Ozarks. Hello, Lisa. Hello, everyone. Hey, Josh. Hey, everyone. Hope everyone's having a good evening. Absolutely. You know, this is funny, but... <clears throat> You know, we, we do uh, a variety of streams and videos on a variety of platforms now at this point. We began on Facebook and in just the simple knowing that we're back on the, the platform that we started with always makes me feel more at home, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> yes, it, it does me too. And I, you know, I, I feel conflicted about saying that I feel, home on, feel at home on Facebook, but um yes i'm mm, settling in in our collective living room our our uh, our, our collective fig the collective figment of our imagination that is social media yes it's either our collective living room or the collective corner bar i'm not sure which <laughs> or or a, a a unique amalgamation of both and uh for folks who follow my account Yes, I will be posting photos later of me wearing cowboy boots with paired with my khaki shorts. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> As did many other people, much to their chagrin. Uh, shout out to Rebecca Hool, who uh, regularly monitors my fashion. And I know she was cringing as she read that, which is pretty much why I, I've made the post. <laughs> It's scary that, that someone monitors your fashion when it's usually jeans and t-shirts. But <laughs> Well, for, for the record, now that uh, I, I do want to do a quick shout out uh, to Rebecca. <clears throat> um, and uh, Rebecca Hull has um, uh, a great um, um, Downing Street Downing apparel. Uh, she does vintage uh, clothing and report and, uh, and, and picks out, uh, basically I just pay Rebecca money and say, please make sure that I look decent for major public events, particularly ones involving, uh, elections. And, uh, <laughs> she always does a fantastic job, uh, because nobody really wants me picking out my own clothes as evidenced by the khaki pants and the, and the khaki, khaki shorts and the, and the cowboy boots. So it, it uh, uh, allows, you know, it ensures that many people are not embarrassed by my presence, uh, although it does occasionally diminish my own hilarity at everyone else's embarrassment. Uh, that said, <clears throat> unlike me, Rebecca has a great sense of fashion and makes sure that I look good for events. That, uh, so downing apparel check them out also uh mm, check out maple hill fine art and yeah. ozark pottery uh with freeman in forsyth missouri who handmade this uh arkansas mug it's it's beautiful it really is i have a full set one of them has a, an ozarks bear uh, which, of course, is the State of the Ozarks logo, <clears throat> and then also the State of Missouri, which many people have seen me drinking out of, and now we have Arkansas. So my set is complete. Very excited about that. Got it at the Farmer's Hollister Farmer's Market yesterday. I'm just branding the hell out of myself today. Um, 
in the state of the Ozarks Farmers Market desperately at Hollister, Missouri. And I'm even wearing my state of the Ozarks logo. <laughs> We're just branded up storm. Boy, you got organized there. <laughs> Uh, the state of the Ozarks mascot is asleep behind me and is currently not barking or chewing on my hand. So we're uh, good. I hate to tell you, he's not asleep. No, he's well, he's not barking at me. So there you go. Yeah, so far. <laughs> so far. He's had a big day. Oh, and uh, we do have, let's talk a little bit about the, the topic for tonight. And uh, then sponsors, and then uh, sponsors plural. That's exciting. And uh, then uh, schedule events, and then we'll get into our topic. Uh, but gunpowder and nooses. Two of my favorite things. <laughs> it's... And you can get you, and everyone can guess why. <laughs> well, as as we. I think I texted this to you as uh, I was doing extensive research on public hangings. It really made me want to dress up and make apple fritters. <laughs> well, you you know, and that's that's one thing. It was a public spectacle, so you did have food vendors, you know. Yes, I uh, I I, <laughs> I demand funnel cakes for my public hanging. Just FYI. <laughs> Never mind my last meal. I just want everyone else to enjoy their funnel cakes. That's right. Doomsday uh, sayers are welcome to uh, to walk the crowd. <laughs> and unlike my regular events, um, 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 pamphleteering, proselytization, and, uh, and a variety of ballot takers are welcome. Okay, so now that we know what's gonna happen at your hanging. <laughs> <laughs> Please join us on Dark Ozarks while Josh plans his hanging. <laughs> it is a festive event. You know, joking aside, um, yes. some of these events, uh, the uh, it, you could almost say that um, the victims had a hand in the planning or at least how things went i i think that's fair and there's we're we're going to talk about a, a number of of uh, several major hangings in, either in the ozarks or crimes that were associated with the ozarks mm -hmm. and 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 then of course the the, the gunpowder side of it, it includes many of the reasons why they were being hanged to begin with you have to get there somehow. You do. I mean, it's it's not something that you just accidentally fall into. There there has to be some planning involved for a special occasion like this. <laughs> Even if it's only a fraction of a second. Yes. Uh, in some cases, these things take a lifetime of effort to get to, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna dig into that. It it is also the 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 you know the aspect of public hangings obviously were espoused, but certainly there was a long-standing um, historical tradition of them. It's something that's been exercised from the public square, literally and metaphorically, these days. Yep. Um, but, but certainly, you know, long-standing um, American and English history, 
and in relationship to the, the exercising of justice and and also the the idea of a cautionary tale you you in some cases take your children to the public hanging so that they won't grow up to be uh criminals exactly you know literally um be, be good or this will happen to you um while we have a picnic lunch yes and i i you know that in one sense it's it's very easy for uh uh, modern day sensibilities to recoil at this idea, mm -hmm. but the the simple reality is a lot of the uh, macabre interest is simply embedded within the human psyche, whether we like to admit it or not. That's true, and and um, at least one of these cases, um, the the crowd was conflicted. Um, and that um, there were, um, uh, you know, many in the crowd um, mourning and, and crying for the victim or for the murderer as he's being hung. And so they weren't yes. always just uh, simple scenarios. No, <clears throat> and and I think that would be a good a good place to to probably jump in, um, Jody Hamilton and Parson Family Murders of 1906. Yes, um, we are in Southern Missouri in Texas County and um, the, the Hamilton family had been in the area for quite a long time. And um, Jody, Jody was almost, you know, one of those people that you think, you know, bad luck followed him around um, yes. from the get-go. Um, you know, his mother dies when he's five, his dad's very strict, and, and it's uh, really rumored that he was physically abusive. Um, yes. He was uh, kicked in the head, was it with a, by a mule and then by a cow, I think. Um, as a child. <laughs> right. And, you know, the, the, the overall indicators for Jody appear to be that he was actually a very decent person, but the possibility of a closed head injury led to uh, uncontrollable outbursts of anger. Yes. And I think, I think that's something too, that, um, you know, when we talk about you know, the past being simpler times and, you know, people were, you know, all, all bad or all good or, or whatever. Um, this is a good example of how not only is that not true, but uh, more knowledge that we have now probably would have changed how this story played out. Right. <laughs> Certainly in the, and, and, and how, um, you know, in, in this scenario, this is, this is a, you know, I think a, a modern day question in terms of, of justice, but in a, in, a, in a modern scenario where we are dealing with the positive, you know, the situation of, a, of a, someone who has, has been injured in a way as to affect their essentially emotional control outside of their will. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the, the, the 1906 case, there was a doctor who was consulted and, but his conclusion was it didn't make any difference. Right. And, and the, the knowledge and understanding of how closed head injuries affect personality and behavior was pretty well non-existent at that time. Today, right. I mean, I've, in my, my day job as an attorney, I've dealt with cases involving these issues. Um, closed head injury typically uh, either will change a personality radically or accentuate certain traits um, that if someone had uh, a slight temper, that gets accentuated uh, or it, it, it comes into play in some time uh, in um, sexual misconduct. Um, so like that, that really was not even considered at the time. And it really does, in, does appear that you had real impulse control issues that were not being addressed or recognized. Um, and but that everyone around him liked Jody and thought he was a nice guy. Yes, <clears throat> and it is. There's, you know, there's several aspects of this that are really heartbreaking, and it is, you know, certainly a, the potential implication that because of these his injuries, he was essentially a ticking time bomb that nobody was monitoring or watching <laughs> or watching out for. Mm -hmm. and <clears throat> what we what we have uh is a situation he's 20 years old he's engaged mm -hmm. um to uh to may thompson who's who's four years his junior and he's begun work for carney parsons who's a 35 year old sharecropper with a wife and three children mm -hmm. and and if you deal if you delve into the story a little bit um Parsons was not, um, his story's a little murky too, because there's some indication he may have been involved in some uh, perhaps shady dealings, not necessarily illegal. Um, and he was already, um, you have two factors that kind of think led to this. One, they talk about he, he's selling um, Jody a saddle and it appears that he did um, really kind of cheat him. He, he charged him an arm and a leg for this saddle. Um, and when Jody called him on it, he wouldn't square up. Um, another thing that doesn't get talked about in this case a lot is that Parsons had already decided to leave he was, they were moving back to wherever they had lived before for a little further north. And um, so first of all, there's a question, was he cheating Jody out of money? And then he, with no notice said, by the way, you have no job. And <clears throat> you, you, you take that situation even just the the uh, the potential stress of being 
engage with the expectation that you're going to have an income, uh, et cetera, the sense of being cheated, the sense of losing your livelihood, all of these things. And the, the, the general evidence, um, unfortunately, leads to a certain amount of premeditation. He heads off to confront Parsons with a shotgun. Yes. And um, the, uh, the family's all there. Yes. Um, and, you know, he um, ends up killing the entire family. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he fires upon, on, uh, on Carney, mm -hmm. Carney Parsons, um, hitting him in the leg or legs, and then begins to bludgeon him uh, mm -hmm. with the shotgun. Um, Mrs. Parsons intervenes in an attempt to save her husband. She too is bludgeoned. Uh, and, and the indicator is that uh, the Jody Hamilton beat uh, the Parsons and their three very young boys to death with the shotgun. Yeah, yeah these, these, are, these are grade school boy, uh, age boys, if I recall correctly. Yes. So it is a, without a doubt, it is a, it is a horrific crime. Yes, it, it really and, is. And... and uh, he soon, what, it, it's one of those things that, 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 that you have, it, it's very empathetic because of his circumstance, you understand where he could get triggered and, and, and lose control. Um, it's a tragedy. It's a horrible crime. Um, the community it mourns him as well as the victims, but one one factor that and and I think this is related to the closed head injury is in between he goes to the church picnic with May. Yes, um, his fiance was actually waiting for him uh, mm -hmm. when to uh, to attend the church picnic. And on he he leaves the murder scene and goes back to his fiance. Mm -hmm. Which again, some people would say, "Oh my gosh, that you know that he has to be you know a psychopath to do that." Um, on the other hand, that's not necessarily unusual behavior for someone with a closed head injury. Which is an interesting aspect, and of course, it's something even today, unless mm -hmm. you're. You know, have you been in that situation? You know, you not necessarily experienced a closed head injury, but worked on cases, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, or known someone who's experienced this. Isn't something, you know, the, the, the behavioral characteristics are not something that you would just readily know. Right. There, there, there's a lot of disassociation in, in, in pigeonholing, you know, uh, compartmentalizing things that often happens uh, with people with these injuries that um, out of context, you know, would just say that, you know, obviously this is just a cold-blooded killer. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the evidence of who he was prior to, to the murders suggests that it is more complex than that. Yes, yes. Um, and actually, you know, um, 
and one interesting thing is, and I haven't been able to pin it down, but some of the sources indicate that there was a familiar um, relationship between Jody Hamilton and um, one of the victims of another case we're going to talk about. Interesting. So there is a potential tie. That is in, that is fascinating. That that actually predated is the Meats case. That that um, there there is um, some indication that Jody was related um, to the Taylor brothers. Mm, wow. But you know, you know, like third third or fourth cousin, something like that. Okay. Okay. Wow. Well, you know two degrees of separation in the uh, frontier ozarks so and you know i think that's one thing too people don't really under don't really think about you know we we're seeing it in a world filled with eight billion people basically um yeah. and we're heavily populated uh, you know, pushing 300 340 million in, in america um yeah. and the the population proportionately was so much smaller even a hundred years ago that when you find these connections they're even more amazing than we would think of them today in some ways you know agree uh, you know there were fewer people but on the other hand you often these people they came from far afield and yet you know we're, we're connected you, the the odds in it are very fascinating they are they they really are and, and sometimes very almost eerie coincidence type yes. situations uh, so what do you what do you think is the, is the final takeaway in regarding the uh, the, the Jody Hamilton case? Um, definitely, it was definitely tragic. Um, I, I think it's one of those things, it's a, it's a situation that just said, that shows that so many times people will try to make everything simplistic. You know, um, the victim was pure as snow, the, the, the murderer was just a maniac etc and it's not that easy um and the fact that you know at uh at at hamilton's execution where he was hanged you know he um uh, spoke to the crowd and um asked for forgiveness and um a number of people in the crowd were crying for him as he became and so just trying to picture that scene that's not something that typically happened in these public executions no and and i think as as we you know later on in in uh, the podcast as we move forward to the uh sort of some of the personal aspects of say for example the christian county bald numbers we'll see something similar yes yes i mean so and, and that's one thing and I think in, in part because, because I work in the legal system, I see it more, but it's always amazing to me 
when there's a crime that people are shocked by and you see it on social media now, but it used to be, you know, with comments from, you know, made, you know, on newspaper articles or the news on TV that as soon as it, as soon as the words are out, people, well, oh my gosh, this, you know, the, the accused person is just the most horrible thing in the world and everything is black and white. And people are so easily moved to do that and they, they don't know the circumstances at all. Right. <clears throat> and it is, it is easy to transition over to a, uh, almost a virtual uh, mob. Yes, it, it, it really does happen that way. Um, even, you know, even before any information's out, you know, um, mm -hmm. and then, and, and then the sort of that mob mentality, it grows. Uh, fortunately, not too often these days do people act on it, but right. know, in days past, they certainly did. Mm-hmm. Which also reminds me of another hanging in the Ozarks that we could talk about. Yes, <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a lot of hangings in the Ozarks that we could potentially <laughs> dig into. Uh, I think the the next one that I'm, I'm really interested in is is actually one that predates the the Jody Hamilton okay um, um, murder murders, and that's the Meeks murders of 1894. This, this is a case that is very fascinating. Um, I, I would really like to tell the story in depth one of these days um, because there are so many moving parts and the, the story doesn't end with the execution by any means. No, it, it, in some cases, the story begins uh, with the execution. And, and I think it's important to note the, the, the inciting events uh, appear to have taken place in, in Lynn County, um, and, uh, which is around Brookfield, includes Brookfield, Missouri. This is um, technically outside of the Ozarks. It's just um, Barely. You know, north of the, that interesting border country north of uh, uh, the Missouri River, north of Jefferson City and Sedalia. And the, I believe the trial actually took place in Milan, Missouri, which is uh, uh, a town I'm quite familiar with. I drive through Milan yeah. when I'm heading up to, to visit family in Iowa. So it, it, it was very interesting for me to read through this because we're, we're dealing with a, a really fascinating, for me, a really fascinating part of rural Missouri that uh, I, I've, I've grown up uh, transiting through. Mm -hmm. But the story does take you through the Ozarks, including yes. the Arkansas Ozarks and the Oklahoma Ozarks. <laughs> Exactly. That's when I, I grab my Arkansas mug. So I'm like, okay, we are dealing with Arkansas this week. So. <laughs> there you go. I can do that. But yes. Uh, and, and again, that, that, uh, that speaks to the, this, the overarching narrative of criminals, fugitives at large, having to transit. Uh, a variety of yes. things. I'm gonna 
take care of my puppy. Okay. Okay. Um, yes, I mean, um, it, it's a good illustration that this case in particular uh, is a good illustration of how the Ozarks really is a crossroads and a thoroughfare for um, purveyors of uh, violence and sin and uh, contraband uh, of all kinds. Um, and perhaps the rugged nature of the Ozarks itself is part of what uh, really gives this case uh, an interesting twist for so many years after the initial murders. So. It really, it really does. I think that there's so many move, and again, as you said, there's so many moving parts, fingers crossed on the puppy. Um, but this, this, there, there, <laughs> it, it starts with the Taylor brothers, George uh, and William. Yes. And George and William do something very, uh, very illegal. They yes. are embezzling funds from the Lynn County Bank. That plus also, they are also uh, involved in a cattle wrestling uh, racket. So they were busy boys. They were busy boys. And um, they, they pretty much, the, the Taylor family was very well respected and in town and started out fairly wealthy before all this started. Um, oh, had a major interest in the bank as, as well as other businesses. And William was uh, actually had gone to law school at the University of Missouri. Um, George seemed to be, I think he was the ringleader. Mm -hmm. And it come, you know, it does come out over time that they that there were other parties involved helping them, you know. Yes. Ne'er do wells, I think, actually was the term used by some of the newspapers, um, and And it seems that you you had two different personalities too with the brothers. George definitely seems more of the egomaniac, probably mm -hmm. narcissist, you know, narcissistic, um, more sociopathic. Bill or William seems like he at least ha had moments of reflection, maybe, uh, but seemed to be more the follower following his brother's lead. Uh, and yeah, uh, and, and which is a good which is a good example of why you know don't just don't follow anybody because it can get you in trouble. In this case, it got him killed. <laughs> That's the case. It it did and. You know, something that was, that was to me striking, um, William's essentially last statements are actually are very eloquent. Uh, yeah, let's, let's tell a little bit of the story before we get there because I, yes. I love that. And, and actually the precursor to that, the train ride to the execution as well. <laughs> right. um, but basically, um, 
Mr. Meeks, there's some indication that he might have had a peripheral involvement in the in the cattle rustling, um, or at least knew of it. And he also found out about the embezzlement scheme at the bank. And he was going to turn state's evidence against the brothers in the embezzlement case. Yes. But he, you know, he again, he was not necessarily totally blameless because he decided to turn evidence in that case in part so that the prosecutors would not pursue him for his role in the in the cattle wrestling scheme. <laughs> and, and, so, birds and, of a feather, so to speak, you know, start having disagreements. <laughs> and, and things began to escalate rather drastically from that point on. Well, and they attempted to buy them off. Yes. Well, first of all, I mean, you know, first of all, the, the, the tailors, they, they did they, they, they did try to bribe him first. They, they tried to, they offered him $1,000 to just leave town, which in 1894 was quite a chunk of money. Um, but he turned it down. And so um, they decided to take matters in their own hands and paid him a visit at his home and wanted him to go with them for a talk, you know, the proverbial walk in the woods. Yeah. And his wife was savvy enough to kind of figure out what was going on. And she thought she would protect everyone by insisting that she and the children go along. Which was a terrible um, idea. Terrible idea. I, and I have to wonder, I've thought about this, if she just thought, surely the Taylor brothers wouldn't kill them, kill a woman and children, you know, because they were prominent in the community. And that, that does seem to be the, the logic. <laughs> that does seem to be the logic. I, I, that's the only thing I can figure. Um, and, you know, it might have worked in some cases, but I think that matters had gotten to a point that at least George had realized that they were going down with the ship if something didn't happen. And in something that that might also have been the case is that Mrs. Meeks might not have realized how far her husband was in. That's true. I mean, I, I mean, that's entirely possible. She might not really have known his full involvement or what all he knew. Um, so anyway, they, they all leave in a wagon. Yes. <clears throat> the Taylors, Mr. and Mrs. Meeks, and their children. And I, I think there were four or five all together, I think, if I recall. And um, so they go a ways and then the Taylors attack Mr. Meeks and Mrs. Meeks and the children. Yes. And then it then it does get a little brutal. Um, yes, it does. Uh, they're they the the Taylors believe that they've murdered the entire family. Well, they they did, and they hid the bodies. They they were um, 
I, I guess you could say innovative. They they hid the bodies under a bale of hay, you know, a haystack mm-hmm. in the old sense, and um, set it on fire. Yes. Thinking that they would just get rid of the bodies that way. And um, what they did not realize was that one of the children was not dead. And um, Nellie, Nell, I think she was six at the time. Now, she, she had been bashed in the head. Yes. And they said, in fact, for the rest of her life, she had a dent in her forehead, it, you know, um, from this. But she was able to, after they left, get away, eventually make her way to a nearby farmhouse knock on the door and Mrs. Carter answers the door and is mortified by this child who's dirty and sooty and torn clothing and bloodied and talking about her parents and and siblings all being dead. Now, being 1894 and stalwart stock, she sends her, I think, a nine-year-old son out to check. <laughs> yes. Go go check under the haystack to find the bodies, kids. Yes. Are there really bodies out there? Yes. Which he did find them and they yes. called the police and soon they were after the Taylors. Yes, they were. <laughs> uh, and, and initially quite unsuccessfully, the Taylors not only left town, they left the state. Yes, and over time, it, it you know there were reports that a couple of their you know um, flunkies, a couple of the guys that worked for them, um, helped them get away. Not only this time, but another time as well. Um, and um, but yes, they made their way south through the Ozarks into Arkansas. Into Arkansas, and uh, you know, as, as someone who has driven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> say for example from uh, from Lynn County down to uh, the White River Hills down into toward Mountain Home uh, mm-hmm. south of in this case south of Mountain Home uh, the now unincorporated town of uh, Buffalo City I believe yeah on the White River which I want to go to now uh, after doing the research for today's episode <laughs> that is a long ways it is, um, and it was even longer in 1894, so. Very much so. So yeah, I think it's safe to say the, the Taylors weren't fooling around in their attempt to escape. No, they, they, were, getting, they were getting out of town for sure um, and willing to do so. And George was not encumbered so much, but William, he walked away from wife and his own children to to run and um you know there there were posses i mean there 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 were there was a manhunt on you know going on looking for them but it wasn't law enforcement that found them (laughs) the very you know an interesting interesting process and it's something that that in in addition just in terms of a psychological profile um william or bill 
seems to be the most distressed of the two brothers. Yes, he, he definitely seems to be feeling the effects of things where you, throughout the course of the story, you, you don't seem to get that from George. He doesn't seem to uh, exhibit emotions or reactions. And, and it, <clears throat> you know, that the, uh, George, you know, from what we can tell from piecing together anecdotal and in some some more objective data mm -hmm. um he not only does as you said seem to be the the ringleader uh of it but he seems very stoic and even a bit angry at the the situation at large as if he's inconvenienced yes yes i think that that would be i think that would be a fair um analysis of the the, the data that's available. And, but, and, and consequently, they're, they, they've assumed aliases. They're in um, staying in Buffalo City. And the, the evidence suggests, or the, the, the statement suggests that they're actually, not only have they taken on different names, but they're getting ready to split up. Split up and, and just, you know, head, head in different directions. Um, um, and they came, it, it sounds like they came very close to getting away full-handedly at this point, except for one person observing them that said, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. Yes. Uh, and, um, and let's see that his is, oh, Jerry, I can think of his first name, Jerry South. Um, yeah. Not a policeman, not not a bounty hunter, but a lawyer and um, representative in the in the state legislature. Yes, um, and and he happens to be staying at the same not hotel. Uh, yes, that the Taylor brothers are are uh, planning their getaway from, and and South uh, hurries and references uh, a newspaper article, mm -hmm. uh, I believe from the St. Louis Republican that uh, that mentions them and has their description yes they, you know he, he's like you know he'd read the article and had their descriptions and um uh, he knows these two were acting nervous he said they were acting nervous of, i think particularly bill and he just got the feeling they weren't who they said they were yes so he goes and 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 basically rereads the paper Kind of makes you want. I, I'd I'd love to know how recently you read the article. <laughs> is it that is it, you, know, you read it the night before or what? And uh, then confronts them. Yes. While armed. While while armed, you know, and um, at that point, Bill blinks and and admits, pretty, you know, pretty much that who he is, and so South not only does he wrangled them at this point but he then escorts them at gunpoint back to st louis yes first to little rock um then to st louis and and, and jerry south actually accompanies the, the the total party all the way back to macon missouri yeah yeah so so basically he he became sort of that bounty hunter <laughs> U.S. Marshal, so to speak. <laughs> yes, uh, lawyer, uh, Mountain Home, Arkansas. Uh, 
um, <laughs> lawyer and uh, and representative turned um, self-appointed U.S. Marshal and bounty hunter. <laughs> Pretty much. So they they wind up back in jail, and then they then they start to escape. Yes. <laughs> and are caught. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, then there's two trials. Yes. The, uh, the first trial apparently resulted in a hung jury. Right, right. Um, which basically would mean that they couldn't get a unanimous vote, at, you know, one way or the other. It was deadlocked. You know, someone was a holdout to acquit them. So they end up trying them again. Um, and it would probably been based on some evidence that was excluded. Something it, it wouldn't just be we're doing it again because it was deadlocked. Um, uh, but uh, they convict them. And then there's another jailbreak. Yes. <laughs> oh, that there. That there is. And and in this case, they, they seem it's not just the Taylors specifically. Yeah. They, they seem to have some help. Yeah, there, there, there does seem to be uh, uh, some help. And then in later on years later actually uh one of these quote ne'er-do-wells actually ends up telling someone that they were paid to help them yes but it's Which years it, later that that comes out right and this this tends to speak to several things one that uh the tailors with their the rustling potentially with the embezzlement that they weren't working alone no no this isn't something that just the two of them did um and, and also suggests that they 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 had been quite successful with their endeavors because they seem to have money to uh, make things happen that's true um although uh from from indications the family already was very well off but um that it does appear that their their criminal uh activities have been profitable up to this point <laughs> so, so and it oh go ahead oh and uh, but with this the second jailbreak uh george gets away william does not right right and 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 william basically i think he decides the sheriff gets the drop on him and he's not going to risk it. Yes. And, and I think George, it, it kind of sounds like George decided he was just going to roll that dice and see what happened. And he managed to get away. And he did. And, and really did get away. He did. They, 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 they never officially found him, although the story gets very interesting before it's over with. It does so. So at this point, you have you have one man scheduled to be to be hanged, and yes. uh, and his brother, who's you know certainly making regional headlines, if not national headlines, in terms of as a fugitive for this yeah. 
yeah, and there there are there are newspaper articles across the country about mm-hmm. George being on the run, um, and very quickly stories start popping up all across the country as sightings of him. Uh, and to the point of law enforcement being convinced that they have found him. Um, and there's dozens of these reports, even as far away as the Philippines. Yes, which is pretty impressive. Um, do we know what kind of reward was put out? Because it seems that the, the, the proliferation of I got him responses suggest the, a number of people trying to cash in I, I, I did find that there that there was references that there there was a, a, a reward offered. Uh, in fact, one of the sightings in Oklahoma, a number of years later, in about 1910, um, there's a statement that uh, a police officer, law enforcement officer, um, who knew Taylor. Um, asked if the reward out of Missouri was still good. And they and the answer was that the governor had recalled it, but they would, but if if they could bring him in, the governor would still honor it. Yes. Uh, But backing up, uh, we have we have Bill in uh, in jail and scheduled to be hanged. Yes, and then we have a train coming. That we do. Um, <laughs> and of course, this is, this is the, the coming to a countdown of April 30th, 1896, which is the, the scheduled day for the hanging. Mm-hmm. And there are, on, the, on this particular train, uh, there's, there, there are, there are two, two women. Um, who have, have made it a point to attend the hanging. Yes. And Gus Nick's mother, the, the murdered man, and the Taylor's mother, who by all accounts knew one another and had known one another for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were on the same train car. Yes. Yeah, so of course, Mrs. Taylor um is is riding to this execution to retrieve her son's body after he's he's hanged yes. um uh, mrs, mrs. meets there to be a witness yes and, family. And, and essentially to to witness the vengeance yes um you know just that scene i think just sums up the dichotomy that happens in these tragic situations to the people that are connected that were not involved, didn't make these choices, but are forever connected to these horrific events. Yes. And, you know, in, in, in this regard, regardless of how anybody feels in terms of being pro or against capital punishment, these types of moments really bring it down to personal realities, the personal costs, not only of the, um, the fugitive, the criminal, the person who, who did these wrongs, but uh, the personal cost of those around them. Yes. And 
uh, you know, I just, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine being either one of those mothers on that train. No. And uh, the newspaper reports or the, 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 the data, um, the record records indicate that they, uh, they had, of course, known each other for many, many years, perhaps their whole lives, this is, you know, comparatively small community. Um, but they did not speak to each other on the train. And, and of course, at that point, what, there, there wouldn't be much to say. I, I, I can see why that's the case. I really can. Yes. And you alluded to earlier William's uh, statement on the gallows. Yes, and it, it's, you know, and you said that he had studied for law. Yeah, he, he, he was a lawyer. And uh, he was practicing. It, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, final statement, quote, prejudice and perjury convicted me. My wife has left a lonely widow. My babies made orphans in a cruel world. My brothers mourn and friends weep. You hasten my gray-haired mother and father to the grave. The mobs and that element have haunted me to the grave. I had hoped to live at least till the good people realized the injustice done me, but it cannot be so. I feel prepared to meet my God and now wing my way to the great unknown, where I believe everyone is properly judged. I hope my friends will meet me all in heaven. I believe I'm going there. Goodbye, all. And, and to me, of course, then there's the question is, was there truth in that or was William delusional at that point? Yes. And because it, it is interesting, there, there is no um, um, recognition of guilt. No, e even playing a role in it, even as a conspirator or an accomplice. Um, and before we go on with George's story, I guess we should say that um, I think part of his statement does come from the fact that little Nell was brought to the trial and actually testified. At this point, she had become the ward of the sheriff. Um, and in his wife and from accounts of the trial um she was she was allowed to testify and basically it would appear very leading questioning um that I'm kind of surprised would stand, except for the fact of such heightened emotions that the only thing I can imagine is that it, that it went on simply for the fact of no one daring to uh, appear to try to silence this child. Yes. Um, but the statements themselves, um, would indicate maybe she, maybe it wasn't a positive identification. Um, there were some statements that along the lines of the bad men looked like Mr. Taylor and Mr. Taylor, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so 
with, without, and of course, full transcript is not available. These are statements that were quoted in the paper, that kind of thing. Yes. And without witnessing, it's hard to say, but it does, there's enough there that does, would make you wonder if perhaps Bill had a point that he was convicted out of inflammatory uh, emotional statements. Um, prejudice, prejudice, perjury, and mob. Yes. And so it, it's hard to know. I mean, it, 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 it really is. is. Um, so let's, let's take a moment on this. Let's, let's flip this around. Because, um, of course, the, the Taylors are remembered in, you know, by newspaper and by the, the sort of anecdotal folklore as, mm -hmm. the, as the killers. Yes. Um, and, and of course they were, they were, um, um, found guilty mm -hmm. by trial. The evidence suggests that, you know, that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we, we really only have one witness. Yes, we, we, we only have one witness and that's Nell who was since at the time it happened and who suffered a quite significant head injury in the process. I mean, yes. Now I'm also curious. It did the cranium. <laughs> yes. Um, and of course the, the sort of the, the reverse argument being perhaps the town needed a scapegoat. Perhaps the sheriff had a vendetta. Uh, the sheriff being the ward, the new ward of Nell, the idea that there could be leading questions involved, the fact that you're protecting her. Yes, uh, the fact that, and one of the other things that's interesting is that, uh, for for however you want to to parse this out, uh, Nell almost Nellie almost becomes a celebrity. Does become a celebrity survivor. She does. I mean, in, in, in sort of a very macabre twist, really. Um, uh, and we've talked before the, the prevalence of murder ballads um, and their role in conveying uh, shared experiences. Um, yes. And, and they've been more prominent in certain parts of the country and the Ozarks is one. And the, the Meeks murders uh, is one such of those tales. There is a murder ballad specifically um, sung by Nally uh, at county fairs and carnivals. Yes. For money uh, with verses starting out with things like I'm, I'm one of Mr. Meat's murdered daughters. Yes. It's now, a, a couple of things I think, you know, as, as a potential showstopper, um, she, she did not make the Chautauqua circuit. No, no. <laughs> Probably um, for obvious reasons. Um, the, the other thing that's very interesting to me, this, this is in an era, of, of, we have, we have, uh, English and uh, you know, Anglo-Saxon, English and early American murder ballads going back forever. Hundreds of years, yeah. 
but something that is of particular note, we're dealing with the, the 1890s and 1890s to about the, about around 1910, 1915, even a little bit later in Tin Pan Alley, these extraordinarily mournful, um, sentimental and gut-wrenching songs were all the rage. They were being churned out of, uh, of New York by the hundreds, I believe. And there, they, they, it's interesting because at the time that was, was, was pop music. Right. Well, a good example is Frankie and Johnny. Um, yeah. And Frankie and Johnny is, is a ballad that actually goes back further than most people think. And it originated further east. But the version that is remembered actually comes out of St. Louis and a version yes. that was written in 1904, I think it was. Um, and um, then later, of course, was immortalized in the play and in the film, which, by the way, was um, written by John Houston, who was born in Nevada, Missouri. Um, so... Oh. We should we should do it. We should do an episode of the dead about the dead. Um, John Huston's final film, uh, short. <laughs> yes. uh, one of my favorite films. I've gotten yelled at for this film. I know it. Uh, like it. You know his great, his, great, his grandfather uh, basically won the electric company in Nevada in a poker game. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's oh how he came God. to live there. <laughs> And, and, you know, uh, um, uh, fantastic wraparound to the macabre because, of course, John Houston's daughter, Angelica Houston, uh, yep. stars in the Addams Family remake from the, the 90s and uh, yep. also stars in The Dead, um, yes. which is <laughs> deep existential Irish melancholy, but is not as macabre as it sounds. Uh, no, no, I, I like the movie. I, it's one of my favorites and I watched it around Epiphany for the obvious reasons. If you're familiar with the James Joyce uh, short story from the Dubliners. That said, long way around the block. That was fun. Um, you know, the, like the- If anyone, oh, also, if anyone is wondering about, you know, if we're exaggerating the prevalence of murder ballads in, in Ozark's culture uh, during this time period, you only have to walk into the Capitol and Thomas Hart Benton's uh, murals that more, one of them is Frankie and Johnny. Yes. So there's, but the, this intense, um, heart-wrenching, sentimental macabre, um, you know, even a, even a comparatively modern not modern, but a, a, you know, the look up the look up the bluegrass tune Autumn Leaves. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and read the lyrics and oh my gosh uh, yeah. you know either you'll run away screaming or you'll cry your eyes out it's yep. one of those things. it's also one of my favorite songs and uh, just for the record uh, nothing fancy does a fantastic uh, remake of it on one of their <laughs> albums so with that you you know this is sort of devil's advocate on the side but you know the potential that Nelly is being exploited i mean the 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 inclinate the in you know the the likelihood that a seven or eight year old girl has penned uh this this murder ballad all by herself oh, yeah. and then is performing for money 
is a little sketchy. Oh, no, no. She certainly did not write it. I mean, if you read the verses, uh, no, she, I, I don't buy that. Um, and it's just a matter of when, when, to be perfectly honest, when did that exploitation really start? Was it afterwards when, you know, when they start touring the county fairs or was it all part of the, the trial? Right. And uh, yeah. some of that currently we really don't know. And it does, it does just bring into question, as, as difficult as this is, uh, were the Taylors guilty? And of course, the other side of this is that the Taylors may, may very well have been guilty, but the actual evidence was not really as strong as it should have been. Exactly. It, it's, it's hard to know. Or, you know, was someone else after Mr. Meeks, you know, yes. if it's someone else related to the same criminal scheme. Right. There's, there's a lot that we don't know. Uh, what we do know is that William was hanged. He was hanged. And um, that's the end of his story. Um, and, and the beginning of George's. Huh? And the beginning of George's. And the beginning of George's, yes. Um, anyone familiar with The Fugitive, either the old TV show or the Harrison Ford movie, um, really doesn't have anything on George Taylor. No. No, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Um, and, and, you know, the, over, over the course of a number of years, uh, you know, to the tune of about 20 years, there just be, is these continuing reports of we have found George Taylor and then they haven't. Right. Or people that knew him, there, there are multiple occasions where people who knew him who later moved into Oklahoma ran into him, including childhood friend who he greets by, you know, nickname from childhood. Yes. And, um, you know, basically, he's threatened, you know, give me a head start to get out of here. Um, right. And they almost catch him several different times, including once where they catch up with him in a shack and, and uh, the, uh, the pan where he was frying eggs or something was still hot. Yes, he's, he's also great at escape. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, uh, right or wrong, and certainly that didn't seem to show emotion or remorse, but uh, uh, certainly crafty and smart. He seems to be extraordinarily calculating, which again, I think is an, is an interesting circumstantial indictment over his involvement. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, um, a couple of the stories were that, that came out were really interesting, including, including the one that one I found very interesting was down in Atlanta. A yeah. soldier that they um, basically thought that um, was him and actually had ended up having um, some books that uh, had his initials in them. Which is very interesting. I want you to uh, fill folks in on that. I've got to check on my puppy real quick, but I'll be right back. Okay. Um, and, and basically, this is, you know, several years later, this is after the uh, Spanish-American War. Um, 
and um, um, it was reported that um, a soldier was arrested at uh, Fort McPherson uh, outside Atlanta um, as George Taylor. And he was going by the name and he was enlisted in the army with the last name of uh, Butte, um, let's see, of Burns. And um, that he had enlisted in Butte, Montana. Uh, and ironically, there have been earlier reports of sightings of George Taylor in Montana and Washington and Idaho. So that's a possibility. Um, one of the things they noted is that um, he had supposedly um, uh, admitted to being um, George Taylor to other soldiers. Um, and they found letters, pictures, documents that would indicate that he was actually George Taylor. And there were two, quote, fine bookmarks inscribed GBT pasted on into um, books. Um, uh, which of course was George, uh, George's full initials. And his response was they had belonged to a friend. Um, Do you think it was this situation of like deliberately mistaken identity or, or like trading identities? I, I think it was him. Um, um, and, they, and, and they said at one point, he even admitted that he had come from Sullivan County um that um and he he'd been he had enlisted in the army in butte montana and there had been other sightings of george taylor out in that area previously so you, you do have to wonder um i think you know i personally i think he just assumed another name is, mm -hmm. is my gut feeling and um Later on, um, you know, the, uh, the last tale regarding him, um, and this is in 1926, so I mean, we're talking 30 years, you know, yes. um, but the last person who, uh, who actually knew him and actually found him dead, um, he told him that um, in anger that he was George Taylor and he told tales of enlisting in the army and serving in the Spanish American war, uh, which would go along with the Atlanta story. And the problem is um, that the, the warehouse that housed all the military records from that time period burned and uh, I don't know, six million records were lost, something like that. So they they can't find the records for this uh, Burns or Burris that they arrested. So you, you just you don't know. But he uh, there uh, another uh, person who on his deathbed admitted to helping him escape said that they went to South America for a while, then went to England, 
and then ended up coming back and and him join and joining the army and the uh, in 1926 the the old man that uh, may have been him told a very similar story including falling in love with some with a woman in England and um, all the timelines in these different stories add up they do they do and I think that the the fact that you do have so many different things correlating very closely mm-hmm. it is enough that I think that we can piece it together and, and at least reasonably confirm that this is the case. It the is. Only thing, the only thing that I, I wonder, and I, I want your thought on this is, okay, if you're George Taylor and you've managed to do this and you get to England, why the heck would you come back especially since you never went home. Right. You know, certainly there's the, the rather ignominious end of being, a, you know, a, a river rat junk dealer. Yes. <laughs> after, after all of this, the simplest uh, suggestion, you know, that, that pops to my mind is he left England under similar duress. That's 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 my thought. Is of what would what would make him come back, or or leave England except for maybe maybe his uh, old ways that caught up with him again. It, it it may have, and certainly his his involvement in the military and Spanish American War and potentially fighting in South America may have gotten him within this. Uh, you know, he's, he's not an individual who was unused to utilizing violence. Right. And he or may have... Mm-hmm. There's, there's, you know, but, it, and, and I think what's interesting is if he did commit crimes in England that he was on the run for in that regard, um, how would we know? It'd be very, very difficult to track that paper trail down yeah. uh, from the 19 teens um, or thereabouts from yeah. Britain. Uh, obviously, it's, it, it seems obvious that he would not probably have been being pursued under the name George Taylor. Right. And the possibility that he was simply, you know, an American fugitive who under duress managed to get back on a boat. It does seem interesting that he would return to the, to the approximate region where he could be recognized. That, that's what got me too, especially since he was recognized four or five different times in Oklahoma by people who knew him. Yeah. From his hometown area that yes. he just didn't leave and go to Mexico or Canada or something. <laughs> right. You know, and, and I can certainly see, you know, a um, hundred some years ago, if you're uh, uh, an, an American English only speaker and needing to flee England for some reason, you wouldn't necessarily pick continental Europe because you couldn't just find people who could speak English like you can now. Um, uh, that's, so, that, that's true. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, Canada. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, Australia, <laughs> Australia, or even you know Western United States, Eastern United States, uh, somewhere other than Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas. Exactly, you know, um, especially after you got recognized once or twice or three times and still hung around. But that could have been, you know, being that narcissistic that he just felt like he could always get away with it. I don't know. That could be, or there could be some other other factors that we just aren't privy to. the The inclination seems certainly from some of those those last uh, recollections or last records is that he was an angry individual at the end. Yeah. I've, certainly came across that basically you know his life had been stolen from him and you know of course he did end up literally living in the city dump at you know sand springs and and selling yeah. junk um and possibly so, um oklahoma may have been where he his luck in terms of finances ran out that's true i mean that that could just been that that was the end of the road and you know didn't feel he could go home or or contact anyone and or i mean we are talking 30 years you know that he could have just been insane by that point yes yes so you know looking for precisely rational decisions might be the, the wrong place to look that's true ironically it does appear that whatever happened George Taylor likely was the last one living of this sad tale because Nellie died in childbirth when she was 17. Yes, uh, in, in 1905. Yes. It is, it is, no matter what way you cut it, it is heartbreaking. It really is. Um, uh, but if, 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 if you want to look at it as a morality play and karma that in the end, he, he he got if this if this was George. In fact, he certainly had a, a pretty uh, fitting comeuppance. Yes, yes, and the newspaper at the time. Well, first of all, uh, at his death, he was identified. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh -huh. he was positively identified. Yes, by acquaintances. And. Uh, a photo was published of the, the shack, the Riverside shack that he was living yes. in. And uh, it is indeed a Riverside shack. Just barely. <laughs> yeah, it does have a roof. It doesn't have much Just else. barely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's leaning <laughs> yeah. heavily to one side. Um, I don't think it would have been a shack for much longer. <laughs> right. And certainly for someone who, who allegedly, and I think it's fairly safe to say, did, you know, fight in the Spanish-American War, traveled to England, uh, traveled to South America, this was a, a pretty low end. Yes. I want, uh, to, I, I, I want to switch gears and go back even a little further in time to 1870. Okay. Yes. Briefly, yeah, this, is, I, this, is, I, this is quite an interesting case. Um, uh, it um, uh, 
and, and it's one too, you know, of course, with, with the tailors and the mates, everyone involved knew each other very well. Um, well, as did Hamilton and Parsons, but um, this is this is a situation that at first looks a little murky and and uh, you wonder what really happened, but as you dig a little deeper, there there's maybe some connections here. Um, and we're talking about initially the murder of Robert Vinkler Richardson, who was a Confederate general in Tennessee in the Civil War. And he was killed, shot in the yard of a inn in um, Clarkton, uh, Missouri in January of 1870. Yes. He, uh, was extremely wealthy, um, had hundreds of thousands of acres of land in Missouri and Tennessee, um, was involved with the railroads and other businesses, um, had been long associated with um, Forrest, uh, even before the war. And um, was, let's see, he, uh, he was an attorney in Tennessee um, and uh, starting out, you'd think, okay, this is your, just your average Civil War story. However, if you start looking and you wonder why, why did someone kill him? Because there was no real motive ever really right. publicized that kind of thing. But if you start looking at the history, um, he, and looking into the military record, he became almost unstable and you'd almost say unhinged in his tactics during the war um, to the point that he was going to get another promotion and Jefferson Davis wants reports from the field, from soldiers and other officers of his behavior, got to Richmond, Davis withdrew the offer of command. Yes. And, um, and still you, you know, you'd say, okay, what, what does that have to happen with five years later? Well, he's shot in the back, um, walking out of this inn, and two men are charged, uh, Franklin Clark, John Skaggs. And if you start looking at the, the records, it appears that John Skaggs fought under him in Tennessee. Interesting. And a lot of the, and part of the accounts and the controversy surrounding Richardson in the war was brutality against his own men as for if they did not perform. Mm. Um, so it's, it's hard to know. It is. Here's a, here's a question. I'm curious. Uh -huh. they, based on the information with this case, do you, would you, would you suspect toward, uh, 
uh, a, a premeditated killing or something that just moment of recognition and see the opportunity. And, you know, it's, it's hard to know. I, I could see it going either way. Yeah. Because uh, Richardson was in the area quite a bit. He had a lot of land there. So if someone was planning to murder him, um, they could expect that he was going to be in the area at some point, you know. Uh, right. On the other hand, I could see it being, you know, a moment of passion of, you know, you know, recognizing him and reacting. Um, Clark, um, the some of the court records are lost to time. Clark appears not to have been convicted and there's no real clear records of exactly what happened. John Skaggs was convicted and uh, executed. Mm. And then unfortunately, that really wasn't even the end of the story either, just kind of like George Taylor. Um, um, for one, it was a botched hanging. And um, they actually hung him twice. Ooh. And then the, the sheriff finds that this is enough, this is enough. Um, they take him down, they, 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 they take him into a building and then um, it, it gets a little murky. Two doctors show up and it's kind of a Frank, Frankenstein type situation. They, they have, they're basically re, reanimators and they have some electrical device and a battery and they start putting electric current through his body trying to resuscitate him and this goes on for hours wow like 12, 12 hours um to the point that the ship and they say that it seems to be working that they're there that it seems to be uh uh moving and there's indication that he's talking under his breath but never fully regains consciousness uh and they keep doing this to the point that there's burns on his skin things like that to the point that the sheriff finally says i i, I can't stand it anymore and yeah. kicks him out wow that is incredibly macabre it, it really is and um the, the story actually became international. It became a focus of debate in Europe about, you know, sort of the ills of, of executions and public hangings and, you know, and some pretty pointed, you know, statements about, you know, you know, how barbaric things were in America. Um, and, uh, and there doesn't seem to have been any repercussions anything any repercussion against the doctors either or uh it, it's just very murky well and it, it you know interesting i'm assuming that this was taking place not long after the the january 1870 um date of murder yeah it was if i recall it was later that year and so i mean we're, we're talking about in some sense, we're, we're, we're dealing potentially with uh, 
two reanimation doctors who were on the cutting edge of medicine and attempting to, uh, you know, restart somebody's heart through electrical current. That's exactly what they were trying to do. Yes. Uh, unsuccessfully or, or inappropriately. Uh, right. But it, it, it is an interesting, you know, the, <laughs> I don't think I trust an 1871 defibrillator. No, no. And, and from the description of the equipment, a, a defibrillator even in 1870 would have probably been um, less frightening than, than the montage of things they, they had assembled. So oh, um, I would, that, I think that, first of all, I think that's worthy of, of digging into more. I'm fascinated by this. Second, and it's probably likely, unlikely that we can uh, you know, find some of these locations, but I'd be very curious to know if there's any paranormal activity associated with the locations that are involved in either the assassination or the hanging. It, it definitely would be. Um, um, considering the, just how gruesome it was and, and all the events, you know, you, you really have to wonder. Um, uh, and then, uh, John Scads uh, was buried uh, in, in along a riverbank in an unmarked grave afterwards. Mm, wow! And they I said, and ironically, while they were digging his grave, they uncovered the the shallow graves of several men killed during the Civil War. Wow! Okay, there's the we've got to do an investigation. We just got to figure out where. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely interesting. That um, real, um, real quickly, and I'm trying to remember, I know we talked about uh, our sponsors uh, over on YouTube. Did we talk about our sponsors here? No, we have not. Yes, we do need to, <laughs> we do, need to, to do that, our faux pas. <laughs> uh, always buying books and Beard Engine. Brewing company. company. Yes, in Alba, Missouri. Uh, always buying books in Joplin, Missouri. A fantastic place to check out. Yes. And uh, I keep, I, I bought, already bought a lot of books. I've only been there once. You can also follow them online on Facebook, social media, um, at Always Buying Books on Facebook. And also join their group. Yeah, friends who like always buying books. Yes. <laughs> A lot Rachel. of the inventory gets listed there, so you can get goodies. And uh, and then brand new sponsor in Alba, Missouri. Yes, excited about this uh, Beard Engine uh, Brewing Company, um, the only English style brewer in Missouri, and um, wonderful beer. They have a bistro there. Uh, you know. They have live music on the weekends and um, in a very historic building, just down the block from a building robbed by Bonnie and Clyde during the Great Depression. <laughs> Absolutely. Lots and lots of history. I was a beautiful uh, small town uh, yes. in uh, Southwest Missouri. Highly recommend you check it out. And I think considering the amount of stuff that we have to talk about, let's go ahead and make this a two-part episode. Sounds that sounds good to me. Um, um, so uh, we will continue with 
gunpowder and nooses next time. Absolutely. And we have more juicy macabre stuff to share with you, as well as some ghost stories. That's right. So everyone have a good week and we thank you all. We do. Thank you for checking in, being with us at Dark Ozarks, and we'll see you on Wednesday.